Hi, I'm Richard, the founder of 10 Adventures, and this is the 10 Adventures podcast. Each week, we talk to real people about real adventures as they explore this incredible planet we all live on. Welcome back to the 10 Adventures podcast. Today, we're talking about one of the most captivating countries in the world. That's right, we're talking about Japan. And one thing I've always wondered is, what's it like to go bike touring in Japan? And to help us, we have Zerno Imran, who is currently in the midst of his Japanese bike tour, here to tell us all about it. Hi, Zerno. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Uh, I was just in Japan, and it's cool. You're in a town where we spent a day, and it's kind of cool just this, you know, one degree of separation. Uh, but I'm wondering, you know, what inspired you to bike around Japan? It's such an epic trip. Yeah, so ever since I was a child, I always loved Japan. Um, it's a really beautiful country, deep history, deep culture. And I watched a lot of animation. Japanese media was really incredible for me as a kid. And I watched a lot of Naruto, a lot of different animation uh, movies. And I was really fascinated by the culture and everything like that. So I've always had this deep fascination with the country and something else that I've always been struggling with was my weight. So, you know, I was thinking to myself, you know, I've heard of people doing very long walks like across China, across uh, across Russia, across Europe, and they're able to really see the country. And I thought to myself, you know, I don't have six months to do something like that. But biking across the country is really doable um, if you have three months time. So I decided, hey, if you bike across a country, it's really forcing you to have a very authentic view of the country. You know, you'll be forced to actually see everything. Um, I've noticed, you know, if you get on the train system, you get to skip most of the countryside. You go to like the main touristic spots. But if you go through a bike or walk or a car, you're really forced to immerse yourself in your surroundings. Um, a lot more with a bike than a car, obviously. I wanted to lose weight and really see the culture. So those are my two objectives. It's funny. Those are, are such common reasons why people, you know, they want to go and, and explore places. And, and as you said, biking is such a great pace because, you know, in a car, you miss things. You're on the highway on bikes. You could get onto these little roads, see villages you'd never see uh, uh, and any other way. But But I'm interested. Is this the first time you've done a big bike trip or have you done, you know, versions of, uh, of what you're doing now before? Uh, not anything too crazy. Um, I've done small bike trips here and there, uh, just around my hometown in Michigan. Um, I've done a few biking trips in Europe, but nothing too, nothing too extensive. But this was probably my longest, my longest journey. So with this being so much longer, how did you prepare for it? The first thing um, to kind of put myself at ease is I remembered, you know, this is a very developed country. It has like the lowest crime rate in the world, a lot of infrastructure. So you're usually in pretty safe hands uh, throughout the country. Um, and I thought the second thing is I thought to myself, hey, you just have to take this in stages. Um, I think sometimes when we have a big goal, we get overwhelmed because of all the different parts that are going to go into it. But I just thought to myself, hey, if I just start the south, um, I just need to go to the next town over, you know, next big city, you know, then to the next big city and then the next big city. And then just keep thinking about that. Just try to think about it in pieces. Um, I was traveling quite a bit before I started this bike trip. I went through West Africa, Central Asia for a little bit, and then Southeast Asia. So I wasn't able to do too much biking to train my legs a bit more. But I did some leg days, uh, focused on that quite a bit to try to get my muscles a little bit shocked. 
And then um, when I first started, I just tried to think, take things slow, just maybe 20 kilometers a day. So nothing too extensive, but trying to build up that resilience as I'm biking. I'm super interested. So before you started this, you were traveling in West Africa and a few. So so how did this trip come together? Were you kind of just traveling the world and uh, and then I said, OK, at the end, I'm going to tack on three months cycling the length of Japan? Yeah, I, uh, I decided <laughs> to go on a backpacking trip starting last year. So I was able to see a lot of uh, a lot of the Europe. But I also wanted to try to see some parts unknown. So I focused on the Balkans, Bosnia, Croatia. Um, and then I also wanted to see Africa too, you know, some countries that aren't as, um, as visited. So I visited Morocco, Guinea, um, and then also Mauritania. That was where I stayed a little bit longer, but it was really interesting to see these places that people usually don't go and you get to see a completely different way of life, you know, because I went to London for my first stop during this backpack trip. I was like, oh, okay, this is cool. But it's like, this just feels like another, like, um, it just feels like a mall. A little bit. So I wanted to see something a little bit more, a little bit more di- different away from our ecosystem. Uh, it is crazy how London, I used to live there and we were, we were back there last year and every street's turned into like a shopping street. And it was, we'd go down streets that used to have just, you know, houses. And you're right. It was like, it was like the same kind of, you know, 200 stores that you'd see again and again. And I hadn't thought it was a bit like a mall, but you're right. It's like an out big outdoor mall because it's kind of the same shops again and again. Um, well, that, so so you've gone from kind of like standard tourism to like all these different places uh, and then you're ending it with this bike tour. Now, had you always known you're going to end with the bike tour or is that kind of like a last minute decision? I've always wanted to really see Japan. Like I was planning on spending a lot of time here just because I had so much admiration for the country. So I was planning on starting from uh, from the UK and then moving my way all the way to Japan and then just kind of like connecting the dots. So taking one plane to another. Um, so yeah, this was hopefully my last goal to bike across the country. And, and in, t- in terms of having all your gear, like, did you just buy it all when you got to Japan or did you ship it over or, or were you carrying, you know, panniers and cycling bib shorts and all those things with you during your travels? Oh yeah. So everything I've had throughout my travels is just in one backpack. So I wasn't able to bring too much with me to Japan. So I just had a backpack with my camera gear and then some uh, clothes, my laptop, a few things like that. So it wasn't too much when I got to Japan. Um, I bought the bicycle here. I bought some camping gear. I didn't need anything too extensive because during the springtime, summer, uh, the weather is pretty predictable, um, especially with all the technology we have now. Uh, and there's plenty of hotels, so you can really work around any problems you have. So everything I purchased was mainly over here. And then I started my bike trip. And are you cycling with panniers for your gear? Or are you are you carrying a backpack while you're doing this? Uh, I t- actually just started with a normal Dutch city bike. Um, a lot of people were commenting on that. You know, I should have gone for a mountain bike. I should have gone for a road bike. But um, the way I was thinking to myself is, you know, I'm going quite, I have to carry quite a bit of gear for a lot of the camera work that I'm doing. I need my laptop. Um, if I had panniers, I couldn't fit all of my equipment on there. So I just had a traditional Dutch bike. And then I put a, a rack in the back. <clears throat> oh, sorry, a basket in the back. And from there, I put on my backpack, put some of my sleeping gear, my tent, my sleeping bag, a few things like that. And my camera in the front. And then as I bike, I'm able to film. That's how I kind of set that up. A road bike, I was a little concerned. If I'm going a long distance, you know, hunched over for that long, is going to be a bit uncomfortable. Uh, and a mountain bike, it's a little bit difficult to add too much cargo. 
Ah, uh, cool, cool. And and then with your route, you mentioned you started in the south and and went north. I think had you really planned your route, or is it just kind of you know you're just going to keep going north till you get to uh, to Hokkaido? Yeah. So I really uh, throughout my travels, I've kind of tried to take things day by day. You know, I read this. Uh, I watched this movie when I was a teenager, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And uh, something he says is, you, know, <laughs> you have to be careful. If you, you know, you don't pay attention, life will move by in an instant. You'll miss everything. So um, I really took that to heart. So whenever I have time, I try to not over plan. So usually what I have is today, hey, I'm going to do just 30 kilometers. I want to get to here, um, just a little bit north. And what are the sites I want to see along the southern island? So I think of the island of Kyushu. What do I want to see? And I try to just incorporate those, maybe five sites. And what that does is, you know, people are afraid that you're not going to really be able to see too much, but it's the complete opposite. You know, I get to meet people in small villages. They tell me about their culture, their family. Um, You know, I was biking the other day through the Southern Island and I passed by like a small town. You know, this man, he's really surprised to see me because tourists don't really go there. And he showed me his poetry. He's a uh, teacher of Japanese classics. And he offered to tutor me and teach me, and he gave me a short lesson. But you really don't get those opportunities if you overplan too much and you're too strict. So if you go off the beaten path, you really are rewarded in Japan. I really love that you quoted a Ferris Bueller. Uh, I've never heard anyone quoted, but it actually is a, re- a really good quote. Uh, uh, there's there's more depth in Ferris Bueller than I remember as a kid. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's so so you're spending three months cycling you know, up Japan. Do you have an idea, do you have an estimate of how many kilometers that'll be for you? You can do this trip in about 2000 kilometers. For me, it's going to be a bit longer. It's going to be 2600 because I'm going to be taking some detours. I'm going to be stopping by Tokyo, uh, which isn't the fastest way to get across, but a few other spots like that. So it's going to be a bit longer. What's biking like in Japan in terms of the roads? I know that's always, whenever I talk to anybody and they're asking about a route, they always want to know how busy are the roads? Are there car-free roads? Are there kind of secondary and tertiary roads where, you know, you don't have much traffic? What have you found so far in Japan? The great thing, you know, a few different people have asked me that too. The great thing about Japan is that the drivers are extremely cautious here. Um, I've never, I think I've heard a honk maybe one time. So everybody's very kind. They're very courteous uh, because the culture is so laid back here. And then the second thing is, you know, if you if there is an accident, almost always the car is found liable. So it's uh, it's Japanese drivers are very safe. Um, you can take certain routes that are mainly for cyclists, but it's, it gets a little bit difficult once you get into the countryside because the infrastructure gets a little bit lacking. If you go through the local towns, I've been mainly using Google Maps and I just set it, turn off highways. Sometimes I just use the car option and I've had a great time. Um, You know, I've never really had too many problems uh, or I've never really been in too much fear so far. So. And are you seeing other cyclists? Like, you know, some routes have a, you know, really big community where you're meeting other people doing big bike tours as well. Are you finding that in Japan that you're seeing other people doing, you know, different versions of cycling across the country? So basically, there's a chain of islands that connect Shoku to Honshu, and that is the most beautiful bike path you can take. There's about seven different bridges, and they connect these two big islands, and you get to see beautiful sites. You get to see beaches, forests, um, a lot of different inns. There's ice cream shops everywhere. It's really an amazing tourist spot. It's about 100 kilometers, um, and you get to see really everyone. 
a lot of Europeans come there. A lot of Japanese cyclists are there. But besides that, I haven't really seen too many other tourists or other cyclists. Um, I've had most of the road to myself. So, which has its benefits. You know, you get to see, you know, it's really fun when I go into some of these small towns. These people will, like, you know, like, see me and be surprised. And they'll, like, invite me into their houses. And they'll be really taken aback because they really don't see too many uh, too many foreigners in, in their country. Uh, and, and you mentioned earlier you were, you know, able to talk with local villagers. Do you speak some Japanese or how, how, how do you handle the conversations? Very little. Um, I'm learning Japanese right now, but I only know about like 30 words. So what I've been doing is u- using a lot of hand gestures and I've been using Google Translate. So sometimes as long as you have a good signal, this is great. You can just type uh, type inside the Google Translate app and you can tell them whatever you want. You can use the talk feature from Japanese to English. So they can say something and then it can translate back to you. Um, so that's really helped me out. I've had full conversations with people at bars and at restaurants where uh, we're complete strangers. They don't speak any English. I don't speak, you know, besides a few words of English. Oh, sorry. Besides a few words of Japanese. And we're able to have really long conversations with just the Google Translate app. That's incredible to have that ability just to to chat like that. I know we use Google Translate a lot just to look at ingredients in food. One of my sons is a celiac. And so uh, we were just, you know, that was our first time kind of using Google Translate to like, you know, what do these characters mean? But it actually is incredible, like just the power of that, you know, little app on your phone to just unlock, you know, talking to people, asking questions. Um, you know, it feels like there's just one more step where all of a sudden we're gonna just going to be like having conversations and it's going to be like just like a real time translator in between instead of having to like press buttons and then, you know, move the phone in front of the other person. Yeah, we're getting so close. It's really, really a huge blessing. Um, because once you can have that little bit of communication, it can take you so far. Um, when I was in the mountains of Kagoshima, I was passing through a small town. And at this point, I had kind of underestimated how strong the mountains were going to be. So I had, uh, you know, it took me about, uh, you know, eight or nine hours to get through 30 kilometers. And the bike, uh, the place I was going to rest for the night was still quite a bit ahead. So I was at the small town. I set up my, my tent for the night and I was a little bit worried. I'm like, I hope I don't get any trouble. I don't know if I'm allowed to camp here. So I go to the grocery store, a local one, and I ask them, hey, with the app, am I allowed to camp here? Will I get in trouble or anything? And we're just talking back and forth. And uh, the employee says, hey, if you want, my grandmother's house is completely empty. You can just stay there for the night. And they brought me <laughs> dinner and they let me in and they hosted me. And I was a complete stranger. So yeah, this app is, uh, it really is wonderful. Uh, that that's uh, uh, incredible. What a, what a, what a fun experience to you know get an experience of you know small town you know Japanese life. Yeah, it's it's really really amazing. So that's why I always tell people try to go off the beaten path. You don't know what's what's gonna happen. That's I think about the third time that's happened so far. So people are really kind here. I love hearing that. So so we, where are you now in your journey? And kind of like for people who know the country, maybe do you want to describe just a little bit where you've been, where you started, and, and some of the highlights of, uh, of the trip so far. So right now I started in Kagoshima. It's a town that's surrounding a volcano. And then from there, I biked to the city of Kumamoto, over to Fukuoka, then over to Kitakishu. That was the last big city of Japan, uh, the Southern Island. Took a ferry across um, through Yamaguchi. I was about to go through Hiroshima, but sadly I wasn't able to. I'll uh, because of the G7 summit. So I took a ferry over to Matsuyama, 
which is on the island of Shikoku, bike north towards Imbari, and uh, through the Sentai National Park to Fuku Fukuyama, through Okayama, and now I'm in the city of Hijimi. So not too far away from Osaka. Uh, hopefully like, I'll get there in two or three days. Uh, and it, it sounds, you know, if you look at, you think of Japan, that's quite a distance. You know, you're, you're almost at Osaka. But, I, you know, at least for me, I was surprised. There's just so much more to go after Tokyo. So uh, how far, you know, are you, are you, do you feel you're probably like a quarter or a third of the way done? Yeah, the south is the hardest, I think. Um, I believe this is probably the hardest part because here there wasn't, too, the infrastructure is a little bit more challenging in some parts uh, because it's a little bit more mountainous. But now I'm near the coast. It's a little bit, a little bit easier, more, uh, more infrastructure on this island. One of the delays I had was when I was in near Fukuoka, in the southern island of Kyushu, I had a leg injury. Uh, I was pedaling, and then my foot slipped, and my foot got caught underneath the pedal, and it slammed into my fibula. So I had a small fracture there. I rested for about 10 days um, until before I continued biking. It was a little bit challenging, um, but I was able to keep going after the doctor said I was allowed to. I was going about 50 kilometers a day before the accident. So I reduced that down to 30, um, but now I'm mostly healed. I'm still going. So hopefully uh, once I get to Tokyo going north, you know, it's still uh, still a bit of a ride, but I'm going to take it, uh, take my time there. And are you going all the way up to uh, Hokkaido? That's uh, that's my plan. I was planning on going to Aomori, but um, I was thinking to myself now, hey, I'm so close. I might as well just take a ferry north and see Hokkaido as well. So that's in the plan. Uh, and, and do you have a fixed time you have to finish this? Or is it, you know, you're just going to keep going until you finish it and then, you know, uh, go from there? Hopefully, hopefully I'll make it in time. My visa expires July 17th, so I don't have uh, an incredible amount of time left. But um, I'm hopefully going to keep pushing and just see as far as I can. You've mentioned a little bit about the distances you're traveling each day. Uh, and you also mentioned you're carrying a a tent, but I see you're in a hotel right now. Uh, how are you balancing where you stay each night? Is it, you know, are you tenting most nights and hotels just as a luxury or, or vice versa? I usually was staying in tents when I first began. Um, you know, the climate was really nice. The nights aren't too cold. So it was pretty, pretty easy to camp. And especially in the countryside, people are really laid back. Nobody really minds if you set up a tent. Um, but then after my injury, I decided to stay a little bit more towards the luxury side. Um, so I stay in hotels, but hotels aren't as expensive as people think, you know, I'm finding so many business hotels that are just like 25, $30 a night. So it's really, it really doesn't need to add up to, uh, to a big punch here. Um, so mainly now I've been staying in hotels, but, uh, as I continue to get into the countryside, I'll hopefully revert back to doing about 50, 50. It's hard. I've done the same thing where it's like, man, the hotels are so cheap. Why am I? Dealing with staying in a little one-person tent when for, you know, 18 euros, I could have a little, like a little hotel room with running water, a washroom, and a shower. It's, uh, uh, it's hard, you know, you, you know, it's, it's such a, such a nice luxury just to be able to charge all your things up, have a shower. Like it's, it's hard. Even, even when I've, at least I've wanted to stay in the tent, the draw of the cheap hotel room is, is high, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. Um. It really is seductive. Uh, it really is attractive to have a hotel room. Um, a nice thing about Japan is there are so many public baths. They're called onsens. So natural hot hot water comes out. 
So, you know, just for like four or five dollars, you can go in, you know, take a nice bath, sit in the sauna. It's all clean water. Everybody takes a shower before they get in. And uh, then after that, you can go back to your tent and you can have a, you'll be rest like a baby. So I've done that a few times. It's really relaxing. That would be nice with uh, with sore muscles. Now, I, I, I want to get on to one of the highlights of Japan is is the food. And so are you eating out all your meals? Are you trying to cook some? Do you have a little, you know, camp stove that you're trying to cook some food on? Or are you just savoring the great food and the different variety wherever you are? Oh, yeah. I've been mainly eating out almost all of my meals, basically all of my meals. I didn't bring too many supplies with me for cooking. But there are so many amazing small restaurants when, I, when you go through the countryside. Um, and also small towns, just small little holes in the wall. You can go there and get some nice hearty ramen and uh, some grilled chicken. And it's really, really amazing. So that's been mainly what I've been eating so far. And, you know, everyone seems to have like a favorite type of Japanese food. You know, they fall in love with, you know, they only eat ramen. They're only, you know, they find a, a, a certain type of, you know, delicacy. Is there something you found that you weren't eating before you came to Japan that you've fallen in love with? Man, I've, I'm actually a pretty big like fan of Japanese cuisine. So <laughs> nothing, <laughs> nothing crazy sticks out like that. But um the shoyu ramen is amazing. Um, I, the chicken ramen here is really like after like a long bike ride, having some of that is really refreshing um, and it really puts you to sleep. So and it's really cheap too. people ask me, like, how are you able to afford it? A lot of times I can get a bowl for just like three or four dollars at a small, uh, small hole in the wall. I don't know what's going on. I, I think the Japanese yen must have declined because when we were in Japan, everything seemed super cheap, like cheaper than Canada. And I always thought Japan would be expensive. But even in Tokyo, like going out to eat was like, you know, you'd pay 10 bucks or, you know, or 12 bucks for a bowl of ramen in, you know, a, a kind of a cool environment. I was like, how is this so cheap? But I think I think it just must be the yen must be cheap because everything, everything seemed affordable in Japan. And I didn't expect that at least. Yeah, I was, I was really shocked by that too, because people told me it would be quite expensive. Um, Japan is aggressively they really don't believe in inflation here. So whenever people or companies raise their prices, the public usually gets quite upset. So that may have been part of it. Um, like why things are, things are so cheap here, but yeah, it's really, you know, you can really stretch your dollars here. And while you're biking, you're also creating a bunch of uh, videos. How do you find time to, to create these videos? Oh yeah. That's been, it's been a little bit of a challenge um, because either I'm planning my day out, either I'm, biking or i'm trying to edit videos so what i started doing is every like two or three days i try to take a rest day and then in that day i try to edit as much as i can it gets a little bit challenging but um you know having a hotel really does help because you have internet you have uh you know you don't have to worry about setting up your tent for the night uh well this this sounds like an incredible trip zerno and i just i just love that you've incorporated this massive bike tour into kind of like this global trip you're on most people just do one or the other i think it's kind of cool you just went and explored these undiscovered places and then you sh you know rocked up in japan got a bike got some gear and started cycling i think that's an inspiration for a lot of people who kind of feel they've got to do a lot of preparation and they've got to you know get a custom bike, get it shipped over, get everything dialed in. Uh, well, you've kind of done the opposite. You've just showed up, found found a bit of gear and just started cycling. Uh, and so I just want to say thanks for sharing all your experience about uh, Japan on the podcast today. Yeah, anytime. Yeah, I know. I think sometimes people, um, I used to do this a little bit too much. I used to over-prepare, really detail everything out. But 
you know, once you learn to let go, you understand like everything will be fine. There's always kind people around. There's always solutions to your problems around. And, uh, you know, if things don't go exactly how you want them, you're going to have something to remember, right? You don't always remember your extremely well-planned out trips, but you remember, oh, things didn't work out here. Um, and then what happened were the consequences. You have a story and that sticks with you for life. You know, there's there's so much wisdom in what you just said. Like like that is like one of the biggest, you know, learnings you, you can get on traveling. The way to make travel the most fun is just kind of go with the flow. Like you can try and fight against what's happening, but sometimes you just gotta say, yeah, yeah, this isn't ideal, but I'm just going to go with it. And then you're right. You, you end up sleeping in somebody's grandmother's house that day and <laughs> yeah. get like a great, a great meal. And, you know, you can't plan that. But if you're just open to new experiences, you get these great, great results. Yeah, exactly. That's, um, that's the most important lesson I've learned through travel is, you know, really em- embrace the discomfort. And ironically, through discomfort um, and struggling, you end up becoming extremely comfortable because once I go back, um, go back to Michigan, you know, in West Africa and a few other countries, I didn't have running water all the time. There were days where it was like 98 degrees out Fahrenheit, really sweltering, really challenging. Um, but when I go back, it's going to be, you know, I'm really going to appreciate the small things. Um, even here, this is a little bit exhausting throughout the bike ride, but you know, you really learn to be comfortable, um, with the uncomfortable that really makes your life easier. I love the way you've, you've expressed that. Um, if people want to get more inspiration, they want to see your videos, where can they find them? Sure. I have a YouTube channel where I'm documenting all this. I'm trying to post about once a week. It's, um, Zerno official. So Z E R N O official on YouTube. Uh, if you just search Zerno biking across Japan, my series should pop up into YouTube. Uh, all right. Well, thank you, Zerno, so much for sharing all this. Uh, it was great to, to hear about this. And thanks for everyone for listening to this episode of the 10 Adventures podcast. We'll be back next week to explore the world and hear about more epic adventures. Listen to other episodes of the 10 Adventures podcast on Amazon Music at amazon.com slash 10 adventures.